This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. I'm going to be talking with you a little bit about, as was told, the area that I grew up in, the area that I've been around for a while. And I was a student here, and my parents were students here, and my brother was a student here, and my aunts and uncles were students here, so I kind of know the lay of the land a little bit. I've done the whole plush horse thing. That's kind of a rite of passage in the area. So my goal is to tell you a little bit about some things that even people that have been from around here might not know about the area. So here's an oldie but goodie picture. Anybody that's from around the area might recognize some of this. This is the old Swallow Cliff toboggan slides. The slides themselves have been taken out now because of mostly liability issues with the Forest Preserve. But the stairs still remain, and we'll be talking about that in a little bit. One thing that's unusual about Illinois is if you drive for an hour and a half south, west of here, it gets pretty flat pretty quickly. But right around this immediate area, it's not so flat, and we have a lot of forest preserves around here. I wonder why. That's going to be some of the things that we're going to talk about today. When it comes to talking about the Chicagoland area, we're that little yellow circle right there, little dark green circle. We may not look like we're very important with all of the city around us and all of the other stuff, but without this area, this area right here, there would be no Chicago. And I'm going to tell you some of the reasons why. In order to help facilitate the conversation, it's helpful to talk about two key concepts in geography. The first one is called situation. Situation is a way of talking about the land that's around the area in general. So when we think about situation, we think not so much about Chicago's immediate land right underneath our ground, but about the surrounding area around it. And we can see from kind of taking a look at where Chicago is, right at that southern tip of Lake Michigan, that it's got some unique geographic qualities to it. One of the things about it is that it's at the very end of a body of water. Worth remembering that bodies of water until very recently were not seen as things that you had to go around when you were getting on the Borman and that gave you problems going to Michigan. They were the routes of transportation. They were the ways that you got from point A to point B. You didn't want to go through the woods to get to places. Most of the time when we think of pirates, there are things that occur on the high seas, but going over land was much more costly and much more dangerous traditionally. So we're at that very end. This is important because when we talk about the founding of the New World, when Europeans are beginning to discover America, America is being used primarily to serve the vices of Europe. Think about the products that it shipped over to Europe first. Sugar tobacco, and one thing that a lot of people may not think of is something that this Mad Hatter represents. Worth remembering that mad doesn't mean, er, I'm so mad, I'm so, mad means loopy in the head, right? And Hatters were mad because they dealt with mercury all day long, and they dealt with mercury all day long because Europe loved its fashion, and the thing that it loved more than anything in the 17th century was the beaver. This little guy right here, look at how cute he is. You see a cute little animal, a French voyageur, a French trapper sees dollar signs. Each one of these beavers that would come in, its pelt would sell for about $170. If 
each. We're talking about a society in which people typically didn't have a whole lot of intergenerational mobility, or if you were born poor, you were probably going to stay poor. Meanwhile, some French voyagers had the opportunity to say, hey, let's go see some parts of the country we didn't see before, get some fresh air, make 170 bucks a pelt. Sounds like a really good deal to me, right? They would go to Europe, except Europe loved beaver pelts so much that they made the European beaver extinct. So new lands, new areas to go to, and they began coming into the new world. These are some examples of some beaver pelts made into hats. I know typically when you think of a beaver hat, you might think of like the Daniel Boone with the raccoon thing off of it. No, these were, these were high fashion. I mean, I can do many things in life well. I have superior eyebrows and my fashion sense is pretty good, so I know good fashion when I see it. When we talk about the 17th century again, this is basically who ran what. The French were the areas that were in the blue color. You'll notice that Chicago and Chicagoland is in this blue. Sometimes we forget about Chicago's unique French history, but do you hear many other words that begin with the letter CH and are pronounced with a SH kind of sound? That's French, right? We'll talk about where the name Chicago comes from in a while. But going back to the map, we see that Britain has the red, France has the blue, and France has some unique opportunities and some unique challenges with this. They're at the key of two important river basins. They have the St. Lawrence River Basin, which begins at the St. Lawrence River, flows into the Great Lakes. They also have the Mississippi River Basin. Getting control of these two areas means that you basically have control of the center of the country. And controlling the center of anything in a game of chess is really good, right? The problem is that the two weren't really mixing that well. You can't go from one area to the other area. They sent a group of two people, Father Marquette, Père Marquette, and Louis Joliet. Sometimes we call him Joliet out here. We have a city named after him called Joliet, one just to the north of that called Romeoville. Romeo, Juliet, you ever, that's where the name comes from, right? They send these two voyagers, these two explorers around to try to find a way not only to map out the land but also to find an area that can map the two things together so that you can go from the St. Lawrence River to the Mississippi River as easily as possible. There's no waterway that went from one to the other one but maybe they could find something looking around in a map. This is a basic map of that Mississippi River once more. You can see that if you control the Mississippi River Everything in green here is where you can get to. So you can get to most of the country through the Mississippi River Basin. Marquette and Joliet make a map. This is essentially where they got to. The map on the left is a part of the map that they created. This is a recreation of it. They didn't make it on the Internet, obviously. And the part on the right basically corresponds to what it goes to. Cartography buffs are going to love a map like this because you can tell very easily that this was made in a time that longitude was tough to do. Latitude was really easy to do. You use this thing called a sextant. You saw where the stars were. You could tell very easily how far north you were or how far south. Longitude you could only do with a good clock. And good clocks were difficult to come by, very expensive and very heavy. So if you take a look at an old map like this, see how a lot of the lines look way straighter straight up and down than they would on a normal map. 
Now you can wow your friends at parties with all this cool geography information you got. Let's zoom in a little bit on some of the important features of this. In 1674, Marquette meets this dude up by Green Bay called Shaguasiu, who was outside of Green Bay. Don't tell any Chicagoans that it may have been founded by a Packers fan-to-be. That's just going to make them mad. Comes down to this area and sees in the yellow circle, there's a word that I've circled called portage. Portage, you and I might say portage, because we got a little bit of a different accent. What he said was this might be the best area from which to take a big boat or a little boat. Little boats are actually better, like a canoe. Pick it up, walk with it, put it back in the water, start canoeing again. You can see why you wouldn't want to do something like this with, say, a galleon or a yacht, right? They're kind of a <laughs> little bit on the heavy side. So this was an area that he was thinking might be the best way to get from Lake Michigan on the far right over to some of the headways of the Illinois River, like the Des Plaines River, on the left. Now, this sounds fine and dandy. You pick up a boat. How hard is that, right? Sometimes I, I have an inflatable boat. That's real light, right? Well, there are a couple of problems. The original Chicago Portage you can find at 34th and Harlem. You can go there today. It's a forest preserve. It's very nice. That's where I took the picture of the, the statues. So this is what it looks like in March. You can see that, first off, the water is a little bit on the shallow side. This was not exactly what you wanted to see because think about shallow water all over the place. You may think of mosquitoes a lot. You may also think of leeches a lot. French voyagers going through this area, yeah, they, they got their fill of leeches and of mosquitoes. This is what it looks like in August. So slightly different. Probably the kind of water that might even make you sick. That does look like it's moving around a whole lot. So pick your poison. Either you're going to get a lot of mosquitoes or you're probably going to get sick. This was something that was used because it had to be used. There was no better way to do this. As time went on, Marquette and Joliet mentioned that in the future, in order to really get this area going, they should probably build some sort of a canal going from Lake Michigan and the Chicago River all the way to the Illinois River. That doing that would truly make it so that you could get from one to the other. It would open up the whole area around Chicagoland. A couple of centuries later, and the ball gets rolling with this. The early 19th century was canal fever. People loved building canals. The Hudson Canal was the first one that was built. The Erie Canal was another one. And we get the I&M Canal, the Illinois and Michigan Canal that gets built. You can still find little spots of the item canal existing. Go north on LaGrange Road, you'll find a couple. But any Chicagoan is going to take a look at this map, seeing the dark black line, especially as it gets close to Chicago, and you're going to see a particular interstate. It's I-55, isn't it? Most of the item canal, I-55 just went right on top of it. So one form of transportation getting shifted for another form of transportation. This is the way that things happen sometimes, right? To get this canal built, there was a need to get a whole mess of extra laborers around. Canal building is hard. It's not the most fun or pleasant task. 
It didn't pay particularly well. So, where are we going to get these besides from the Ghostbusters? We could get them from other countries that were looking to get people into America. The Irish in particular wanted to immigrate, and so they did. When you take a look at the areas around South Chicago, the Southwest area, Lamont, even Orland Park, one of its first mayors was McLaughlin, right? You see a lot of Irish settlement in the area because the Irish settlers that built the Ionum Canal tended to stay. One of the tricks about it is canal building. I don't know if any of you have a lot of experience building canals, but it's exceedingly dangerous and a lot of people will die during it. This is St. James of the Sag. It's at about 107th and Archer. You can visit it today. The graveyard goes back to the period. Some folks say it's haunted. I can't say for sure. Maybe you should bring the Ghostbusters with you. I don't know. As you go further and further down, you begin to see other aspects of how this was built. This is in the town of Lockport, Illinois, right? 159th, if you just go basically straight west of here, you can find a lock. Locks are necessary for canals because at some point, water is higher than others. A lock is used to kind of split the difference to get a boat from one area to the other one. You can still find this today, and this is an old canal town as well. Previous to all these being built, Illinois was very much a southern Illinois thing, right? There wasn't a whole lot of population in the north. Think about where our three capitals of Illinois have all been. Kaskaskia, anybody ever been there? There's not a city there anymore, and you can't even get to it from Illinois. You've got to go from Missouri and go around. It's on the Mississippi River. And then Vandalia, and then Springfield, all three of which were primarily when Illinois was populated from the southern side. This brought a lot of people to the north. So this is kind of why we have a city here today. Without the I&M Canal, Chicago would be probably a very small city, maybe Milwaukee-sized, maybe Green Bay-sized. Who knows? I don't have a time machine, so I can't find out for sure. The next thing that I want to talk about is with regard to sight. And sight will inform us a little bit on the very thing around us. If you take a look around us to the north, we have Palos Fen, which is a bog that's alkalinic in nature. So we have a bog to the north of us. To the south of us, we have this gigantic ridge. We've got a whole mess of forest preserves around here, which I love. But you can't do a whole lot of farming on those. So when we talk about sight, we talk about the ground immediately surrounding it. Or you talk about creepy people in the woods taking selfies. This was taken right outside of Swallow Cliff. Take a look just immediately behind me, not for Sasquatch, but for how quick the ground rises. This is unusual in the American Midwest, right? Let's talk first about why we're called Moraine Valley. We're called Moraine Valley because at one point, I like to tell my students two stories about this. First off, we're so tough, where were the glaciers stopped? The other one is, they stop here because we're so hot. We're so good like that. The way that things worked was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, glaciers got to just about this point. And if you've ever seen a glacier, I'm going to go forward to show you what a glacier looks like. I took this in Alaska a couple of months ago. First off, you notice that some of the 
the ice is pretty cool looking. It's very blue. It's very pretty. A lot of it looks really dirty. And the reason is that a glacier is a little bit like the billy goat of the world of ice. It'll eat anything. It'll take anything with it. It picks up rocks. It picks up dirt. It picks up anything that's not bolted down. About the only thing that we would consider bolted down in the natural world is clay. So everything that wasn't clay got picked up and pulled to the south. When it did that, when it started getting hot, because people started to think about Moraine Valley as being a cool place to be, I think I'm getting my history mixed up there a little bit because the school came a couple of thousand years after, but whatever. It's not like I'm being taped or anything like that. So <laughs> The glaciers pulled back south, but because they're getting pulled back, they're leaving all this stuff that they've accumulated through their thousands of mile journey down from Canada. So we've got this gigantic pile of dirt that just gets left right there. We've got all these rocks that get left right there. And underneath everything that's not there is clay. There's a reason that, for example, we have a lot of boggy type marshy areas around here, and that's because it all has a clay bottom. The thing about clay is clay doesn't let water seek into the ground. It just sits there. So we get things called wild onions in the area which is where the name Chicago comes from, it's believed, for the wild onions that grew here. The thing about growing wild onions, they don't typically grow where you would get things like wheat or corn or things that farmers like to grow. This was not a very good area for farming right under us. So most of the farmers that came to the area, they saw this land and then they just moved right on. There were a couple of different people that tried to stay. The McCord family did. You can see the house still on 129th and, and LaGrange Road, just a little bit to the south of here. But for the most part, this was an area that remained as a forest as it had been for a long time because the ground was so terrible for farming. That's not a bad thing. You don't need good land for farming. Think about the city of St. Petersburg, Russia, or Venice. It was just built on pikes, right? You can't grow anything on that. In the process, this is an example of that ridge that I was talking about. Nowadays, if you drive by it, you may think that you're taking part in some bizarre religious ritual where people walk upstairs, they walk downstairs, they walk up and downstairs more and more. But in a lot of ways, this resulting change is a part of what makes Moraine Valley Moraine Valley and the region around it, is things happen, things change, we adapt, we build things to make it work. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.